everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you on this special episode day? Alan, I am doing fantastic on this special episode day. It's a uh, sunshine is all around me. It is. I don't know. It just could be the the medicine I'm taking, but uh, <laughs> I feel like sunshine's all around me. I'm really looking forward to today's episode. I am too. Well, Mark, of course, today we're going to do a Pawnee special spotlight episode on Norm Hiscock. Awesome. Um, we had Norm back on the show. I think it was in the summer uh, of this year. And, uh, you know, Norm is credited as the main writer for 10 episodes of Parks and Rec between seasons one and season five. Uh, he was also a consulting producer in about 68 episodes and then later joined as a full producer in season five's full 22 episodes. Wow. Uh, you know, we know Norm from King of the Hill, Corner Gas, People of Earth, The Little Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, Trailer Park Boys, and Kids in the Hall. So, uh, all winners in my book. I, I mean, they're all really, really good. You know, we talked to him this summer and he was, uh, I think we, at the time we talked to him, we were probably just about to record season three's episode two, which was flu season. Oh, that's written right. by Norm. Really good one. Yeah. He was a terrific guest and I, I really enjoyed talking to him. We had a good, what, hour long conversation. With oh him. yeah. 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 Such a nice guy. Right. And with that episode, we dropped a few of the highlights, but now we're going to get a chance to let you hear the entire interview, which I think if you're a fan of some of those things we mentioned, and I know many of our, our, of our viewers will be like we are, Mark, um, it was a great conversation. I think you'll learn a lot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. I think everyone's going to like this. Excellent. All right. Well, with no further ado, then uh, we'll let you hear our interview with Norm. Yep. All right. We'll be right back. Well, Norm, thanks so much for joining us today. We're really appreciative that you're here and uh, we've really been looking forward to talking to you. Absolutely. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's at least one person has been looking for talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that we've got a list of questions we shared with you, and I think we had 170 or 180 questions. So I thought we'd just dive right in, if that's all right with you. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Your first write, writing credits, um, you know, that we could at least find were from the Eugene Levy created show Maniac Mansion, and we we both knew that as a video game and remembered the TV show. Was was that your first uh, your first big entry? No, my first big entry was actually Kids in the Hall. So I did that first. And then I met okay. uh, John Blanchard, who directed Kids in the Hall, also directed SCTV. So he's the guy that kind of introduced me to Maniac Mansion and the fact that there was an opening for, I think, I can't remember what season it was. Like, I think it was season two. They were looking for more writers. So, um, uh, I said yes, and when I got to work with Michael Short, which was Martin Short's brother, and he was running the show um, for writing. So that that's my my first real sitcom job was that show, but I was on Kids in the Hall before that. I was there from uh, second season to the fifth season. The first season they um, uh, they used up all the material they had put together over the ten years of doing the Reveille on stage. And uh, so they ran out of material. So then they, and I worked with Mark McKinney I, and Bruce in Calgary, Alberta. I improvised with them at Loose Moose Theater. So when they were looking for writers, they, um, they turned to friends that they knew. And I was one of those friends. And uh, I was so happy to get the offer. It was great. Makes sense. That's great. 
Yeah, you, you answered my next question, which was going to be, how did you meet those guys initially? So you went from being on stage to kind of being behind the camera then. I met Mark in uh, actually in um, university in Newfoundland. And we started, we, had, we were at the radio station. We were both DJs there. And uh, we thought, oh, let's do a lame radio comedy show. And it was really lame. <laughs> it was not very good. But <laughs> that was relate. sort of the beginning of us going. Yep. Yeah, it was the beginning of us going, oh, uh, this is fun. And we both were interested in comedy and shared that. And so when he moved to Calgary, I moved there later. Um, uh, we found out about Loose Moose Theater. And, and we thought, oh, we both want to improvise. And I went down first and uh, checked it out and then invited Mark down. And he really liked it. And then we formed like a two-man comedy team. Um, and then that grew into a five-man comedy team. And then we got tired of improvising. And we thought, well, we can improvise, write our show. And there was a spot open on Saturday night. And that was sort of the beginning of the Kids in the Hall, where it was a, um, a, a sort of like a variety show um, of stand-up, music, sketches, um, uh, and it was selling out. So that I think that was the thing that got Bruce and Mark into thinking, oh, maybe we can do this as a living. And I was in film school at the time and getting married in Calgary. So I didn't move with them. I stayed behind and then eventually ended up in Toronto. And then they hired me for Kids in the Hall. So there was a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, these things don't come together all that easy. If they did, everybody would be doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> Well, I assume that was your how you got the intro into Saturday Night Live was then, because Lauren was a, a producer of the Kids in the Hall exactly. television show, correct? Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, well, then when the show was going down and we knew it was the last, uh, they came and asked Mark and I actually to go to Saturday Night Live. And we said, we sort of chatted about it and we said, yeah, let's, go, let's do it. And at the same time we were doing that, we were also um, writing Brain Candy. So we were writing that movie as well as going to the show. Yeah, I, um, I read a little bit on the history of Brain Candy yesterday, and uh, I, I, I remember the movie, and I remember, you know, it was such an interesting movie because it was definitely different from anything else I'd ever seen, you know, and there's just For so sure. much written about it. It's just interesting, all the things that were going on in the personal lives of the guys. And you know, Oh, yeah, just, it, was a, it, was, uh, it was a crazy movie, because, uh, well, we went, you know, we took two weeks to talk about what we wanted to write. And we just sat around and pitched ideas. And then we sat down and finally decided on Brain Candy. Uh, and it was based on, an, uh, you know, the, I think it was Prozac Nation. Was that it? That came yeah. out, it was a, yeah. that came out, it was kind of popular then. And um, Mark had brought that book up and we thought, oh, that's interesting. And then um it this it was the idea that floated to the top now why we wanted to do a comedy kevin kept saying why why should we do a comedy about depression that was, was like the craziest thing to <laughs> take on but it just seemed like it fit like a lot of characters and it was a good theme and it was just starting to be a thing where you know people were taking um anxiety drugs and yeah. um, doing things to sort of and it's, it's uh, I think it's held up over time. It hasn't gone away as a topic. So I'm in a, in a weird way. I'm happy we did it. <laughs> well, I think it's kind of freeing when you can laugh about stuff like that, too. You know? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I think it suited our kind of our writing style at the time. We were trying to be ambitious and write a movie, but but also write still in a sketchy kind of way, you know. So um, and, and it seemed to help connect those sketches uh, with a good theme. So sure. Um, yeah, I think we, it was a good choice. I, I think we second guessed it after it was released. We thought, oh no, we made a bad choice because <laughs> it wasn't in the theaters long and it didn't do very well. But I think you know, I think over time, I think everyone's come to like it. And uh, um, but yeah, it was a, it was sort of a like you said during that time, there was a lot of stuff going on. Dave was thinking of leaving and Scott had another job on another show. And then Kevin was getting a divorce. And I think uh, Scott's brother, you know, uh, committed suicide. Yeah. It was not like a, the best time to write comedy, but like, uh, um, yeah, well, I think uh, ultimately I was really happy with the, the end result of it. Oh, I loved it for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, Mark's, uh, you know, Mark's got a Canadian heritage, so uh, French Canadian, if I'm not mistaken. He says stuff about back bacon That's all the right. time, and I don't understand it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always been a huge fan of Kids in the Hall. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I tended to, to gravitate more towards that since Saturday Night Live, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, uh, Kids in the Hall was sort of a reaction to it in, in a way. Uh, not that we didn't, we love Saturday Night Live, but. I remember when I went to the show it was for sure. We weren't doing commercial parodies. We weren't doing parodies in any way. Uh, SCTV was also doing that as well. So yeah. it was all territory that was done like both SNL and SCTV were doing really well. So we thought, I think they thought, why do that? And they were just, it's more of a personal show. If you watch that show, they had monologues where you knew, got to know the guys, you know, you got to know Kevin and Dave and Bruce yep. and right. Um, and S Scott uh, just through monologues, you know, and, you know, I think uh, Mark was the guy who did character work. So uh, you got to know him through his characters. So it was like you got to know the guys in a weird way. It yes. was like a rock band where you knew all the members of the rock band. That's a good analogy. I like yeah. that. And I do. I remember when they would take turns at the mic. It was always interesting. It gave it kind of that personal feel that you, you didn't feel in other sketch environments. Yeah, and they shared a sensibility, which was kind of cool. But at the same time, they were different people. Yeah. And you could see the different influences on each one of them, too, you know? Yeah, so so Chicken Lady. Who's responsible for Chicken Lady? I know that was my one kid's <laughs> well, question. Well, that's, that's totally Mark. The funny story about Chicken Lady is that uh, he wrote it. It was based on a – it was a character that he did in a Kevin sketch. It was a tiny uh, walk-on part. Uh, his nosebleed uh, sketch where he said, you know, uh, go see the chicken lady. And then that, I think it kind of ended the sketch. And then that gave Mark an idea to write a sketch about chicken lady. Wow. And uh, when he wrote it and brought it to the room, we all laughed and thought it was really funny. But when it went up in front of the audience, they didn't know how to react to the chicken lady. It was such a weird <laughs> character. So they were all laughing at Dave who was reacting to Chicken Lady. Oh, sure. It was yeah. them in the audience. Yeah. So they were, every time they were wait for Dave to react and then they would laugh at Dave's reaction. <laughs> and Dave was just a great straight man in it. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. He's always excelled in that role for sure. The other Chicken Lady I wrote, the homecoming one was a premise I came up with where they went back to visit where the Chicken Lady was born. And I wrote that with Mark. So that was a lot of fun. I liked that sketch a lot. We, we met the family, if I recall. Yes, you had flashbacks. You met the yes. dad. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's great. Well, you know, on Parks, which obviously is our show, we've been doing this podcast. We just started season three. Uh, our episode this week is flu season, which you wrote. But you were right. you were a consulting producer from the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, from season one. I, I Just because I was living in Canada and the family, we weren't sure if the family was going to move back to L.A. So uh, I, I was flying back and forth. So I, I did a com- consulting produce. So I was working four days a week, essentially, but. Um, and there was only six of us in the beginning, six writers. Wow. Um, and so we got one episode each. I got rock show at the end of the first season. And then um, I, I think there was one, uh, Women of the Year. I can't remember the other one I wrote in the second. And then, um, yeah, and then flu season. Yeah. Yeah. This is your fourth episode that we've covered. So yeah. what um, was the other one I wrote in season two? I can't remember. Now. See, now you put me on the spot. A woman of the year. <laughs> I should know though. I wrote it. So I should It's know. on the tip of my tongue. Uh, I'm going to, am I going to look it up while you guys are, bam? <laughs> are, are you now tell me, are you going to IMDB yourself? Is that how this works? <laughs> I know what I wrote. So crazy. Yeah. But flu season was part of um, the second season where Amy got pregnant. So we, we, we did 24 episodes. And so we had to do six more extra episodes at the end of the season. So essentially we're writing 30 episodes for the wow. second season, Man. but they only aired flu season in uh, season three, right? Right. Yeah. It's season three, episode two, and it's, it's eight months basically. Well, I think episode one's eight months to the day after the very last episode of season two. Yeah. So it was a weird season where we were all kind of burnt. We did 24 episodes and then uh, we said, okay, we have to do six more. And all right. But (laughs) those first six were really quite good. And I really uh, like, for some reason we, uh, we were tired at first, but then uh, had a weird energy, I think. That was the Harvest Festival, right? The beginning of the Harvest Fest, was that? Yeah, yeah. it's that yes. arc, yeah. Right. So that, that coming up with that helped us a lot, I think. And then uh, um, I really like season three, actually. Uh, season three is one of my favorite seasons, but. I think it's one of ours as well, and it's 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 ironic that it is a it is a shorter season. There's 16 yeah. episodes instead of the full boat, so. Yeah. Um, you had a little less runway to do stuff, but the shows are just top notch. And I mean, everyone, we went out strong with season two. um, Yeah. Just, you know, and I really like season two too, but I remember um, uh, for some reason, really loving season three. I just remember it being season four is really good too. (laughs) But um, yeah, season three being one of my favorites has some of my favorite episodes in that season. Well, how can you not like Rob Lowe and Adam Scott? Well, they were great. That I think that was part of the thing. They brought a cool energy to the show, you know, and um, and then that revitalized us in, in the writing those six. And it's got so great. And so is Rob Love. <laughs> yeah, we were we loved that we covered in the um, the second to last episode of season two when those guys were introduced. They did the introducing Rob Lowe in the credits, which just <laughs> yeah. made us laugh out loud. I mean, yeah, the guy's been that. in the business. 48 years at that point. <laughs> yeah. So that's funny. Well, how, how did you actually come to parks? I guess that's the connection. Uh, through we're Greg Daniels, I think, uh, cause I didn't know Mike Shore and then Greg was writing and creating the show with Mike. And did you guys I, meet on Saturday night live or where'd you guys meet? No, uh, I met on King of the Hill with, um, uh-huh. so he, uh, he heard about me when I was at SNL and he hear, he heard about me and, um, asked me if I wanted to write on King of the Hill. 
Wow. I couldn't go there to the first season because I just, I'd only been on, I think SNL for one season or two seasons. So I couldn't leave. And I said, well, if you're still interested, call me again. And he called the next year. And so I was on the second season of King of the Hill. And so that's where I met Greg. And then when Greg was staffing the show, he said, oh, I, I think I want to bring Norm on. And I went down to meet Mike Shore. And then uh, we got along <laughs> great. And so I was brought on. And Mike Shore had friends uh, like um, Alan Yang that he knew and Dan Gore that he knew. So he was bringing those people on. So that, 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 those were the first part of the first six people that were on the first season. Wow. That's great. And you wrote Pawnee Zoo, by the way, in season two. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's the one. That's, I remember that because that's Which a, we love. That was, a, that was a, sort of the beginning of the second season where we, we were sort of revamping, rethinking about um, sec, season two. And Greg and Mike had talked to the network. So uh, the, the, the thing that they wanted was to have more issue-oriented stuff. And for everyone, the first season had sort of like, they found Leslie annoying a little bit, you know? Yeah. Uh, in attitude, they, the, the other characters. Um, and so they wanted that shifted a bit. And we agreed that um, it seemed better to have her be more gung-ho and um, and not be made fun of, but actually yeah. see that as a, a positive. And I like the idea of someone in government that really believed in government um, because there was, um, you know, Veep was on and that was the opposite, right? It was sort of yeah. the, the other side of the coin, which was very cynical take on very cynical. politics. Yeah. So I preferred knowing that there were people in government that, that actually liked being there. <laughs> And really liked uh, wanting to change the community and do something, and thought they did, they could do good. And so that was the approach for second season. And Pawnee Zoo was sort of the first episode of a combo of having sort of like a topic uh, that was in uh, out there at the, in the moment, which was sort of like gay marriage, and and also um, making Amy's character more positive, you know, mm. and people not. <clears throat> slagging on her for being positive except for ron who sort of like and we thought that was enough you know like that was enough conflict in a way but yeah. she, in a weird way he's secretly um respected her too you know so it wasn't uh, that was the big shift we, yeah, we've I talked about we all those themes we really like yeah yes yeah. the season yes. two leslie is fantastic because it shows you how smart and capable she is and she's not quite as alan what's the word we would use doofy maybe Doofy was a word we used early. Um, and, you know, I, I, annoying, I think, is a good one, too. Yeah. You know, people were like, I think nerds became uh, sort of the new superheroes, you know, on the, and uh, in high school. And I was going to high school. They were picked on, you know. <laughs> but I think Leslie, we, uh, the, the, was sort of like, um, the approach was sort of like, you know, the movie Election. Sure. Uh, sort of that kind of that was the starting place for her character. We thought, and uh, uh, Tracy Fleck was sort of was that what her name? Uh, I think that or, or Flick, Tracy Flick or Fleck. Yeah, it sounds movie, right. Uh, yeah. she was sort yeah. of like picked on a little bit and made fun of. Yeah. And so um, we decided maybe that wasn't the right you know approach for Amy. Amy seemed like not that type of character. Yeah. 
or Leslie's character, or Amy's approach would seem better for her, you know, the, the player as more positive. Well, we've talked about how she goes on to become like the de facto leader of, of the group. You know, Ron kind of delegates yes. authority to her over and over again. And he's kind of there as a mentor, but, you know, he's per Ron, very hands off. Yes. Well, yeah, he doesn't trust government. He wants government to crumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I know this week uh, we were rewatching Flu Season to be able to do our, our po- upcoming podcast. And it, it struck me how interesting it was to watch this post pandemic. Uh, you know, Chris wearing the mask and all the sanitizer. And, you know, yeah. it's just a, it was kind of a life imitates art moment for us. Yeah. Uh, like I think probably it must be hard for people to watch it now. But I mean, um, Back then, it was just, um, I don't know, I, you know, people had the flu and then people would refuse even then to get flu shots because they, you know, there would be vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. And I always just believed in the flu shot. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we just did it because it seemed like a good area to touch all the characters, you know, um, for, especially for Rob Lowe's character or Amy, you know, feeling like she wasn't, or Leslie's character for, you know, she wasn't um, feeling like she was doing enough. And then she was letting down the team by getting sick, you know, and um, and then uh, other people just being, you know, it just seemed like a good area for all the characters, you know. Um, Absolutely. I think we always saw it for comedy too. And like now you can look back and go, oh yeah, COVID, but now, but I think... I don't think we would have, if, if if it came up and COVID was happening, I don't think we would have done it, you know? Mm, a little too on the nose. I think it's too on the nose. And I think people now, are, I think when you watch it, um, when, I, when I watch TV now, I go and I see people walking around, they're not wearing masks. I go, what world is that in? Because now we're just in a pandemic world, right? Where uh, people are either choosing not to wear a mask or wearing masks, but we're in a pandemic, right? So it's, it seems weird to me, like it, it's not being reflected and no one wants to see it on TV, but really that's what we're going through, right? It's a really tricky period for comedy yeah. now. Absolutely. Now, Norm, if I have my IMDb facts correct, I, I it looks like you wrote a total of 10 episodes for Parks and Rec and you, you produced 90 of them. Uh, so I, I'm just so curious, is there is there one that really stands out to you or do you, do you have a favorite? Uh, I don't have favorites. There's ones that I sort of write where I go, I, that I kind of like, you know, like flu season. I like, I, because it was, uh, um, I thought we did a really good job of including all the characters. I thought I did a good job doing, um, a first draft of it. It was a very good rewrite. If you look at the show, um, there's lots of like tons of, uh, jokes that I wouldn't have come up with that the room came up with. Uh, like, like you could see a Mike Shore joke in there and a Katie yeah. Dipple joke and a Harris joke. And so like, uh, um, that's when I think the the writing room is really, was so great. It's like uh, in the rewrite, um, the, the, the jokes, it just always elevated and became very mm-hmm. good. And then when you went down to the set, there was improvising, right? And so you would cover your own episode and um, the, everyone talks about the scene where, Pratt is on the computer and he says, you have connectivity problems. That was an improvised line. I remember Amy in that moment said, oh, this line that we have in the script is just okay. And this is after, you know, 
having a read through and then rewriting yeah. it and then going down to set. So it's not as if we went down unprepared, you know? And so, uh, but she was right. It wasn't the strongest line. And um, so, and he was sitting in the scene and it was part of it. And I thought, well, let's Mike, he wasn't mic'd because he didn't have a line in the scene. Mm. So I said, well, let's stop it. Let's mic him. And let's uh, think of a line for Chris to say. Um, and then I wrote up a couple and he said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll uh, think of something. <laughs> I said, oh, oh great. <laughs> and then so he came, he improvised like three lines and that was the one we chose. All of them great, made the crew laugh. So it was Amy that, you know, sort of pointed out, oh, we need a joke here. And then it was, you know, I thought, okay, well, let's give it to Chris because he's just sitting there, not doing anything. Be good to include him. And he was, he was in between two um, sort of story points, right? He was sitting in the middle being a secretary, right? Yeah. Um, and then Chris, you know, said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll come up with something. So that's just the show, you know, it, like it was all sort of effortless on some level and organic, you know? That's great. And, and I think this is the Rob Lowe uh, stop pooping improv as well, right? Yeah, we that we we um we came up with stuff for him to improv and I think that was one of the lines we came up with for him. Uh, I think he had pitched a similar or close to similar line anyway, so That's great. We were all on the same wavelength, so he's like, yeah, yeah, try several. I think we tried two or three different things like pooping or stuff, you know. Was it uh was it tough reining everybody in as far as like them wanting to improv or did it go pretty smoothly or how, how did that usually go? Um, in the beginning, it was uh, in the beginning because people are just trying to figure out w w what the show is. So that I think people are quicker to improv in the beginning than, than you know, and I think uh, Greg likes to kind of um, when we're writing his thing is, can we get a version of the script? Cause we worked so hard writing it. <laughs> So he said, can we just get a version of the script and then we can improv all we want. And the way the, the show was shot, uh, we're shooting two cameras at the same time. We're cross shooting. So if someone's improvising, we'll capture it. Mm -hmm. um, and most shows shoot one way and then turn around and shoot the other way. And that's hard for improvising it because you have to remember the lines yeah. and feed them the lines. And then, but you lose something um, when you're just shooting or cross shooting uh, over both their shoulders, it's in the moment, and they're thinking of it in the moment. You don't lose it, so and it feels you can feel the spontaneity. So, um, wow. yeah, I think in the beginning there was a lot more. It's just to slow down the improv thing. We do two, three takes, four takes of the script, and then go, yeah, improv. And once they know the script, then they can sort of loosely change it. And but we never lose the storyline. You know, we are. That's why the writers down there to make sure that we're not losing the story yeah. yeah um and we're not going off track you know um because we're chasing something in improv but they're such great improvisers they're all really good mike had said on the director's yeah. commentary that he felt like you know at this point in the series the characters the, the actors are fluent in their characters now so yeah but, definitely yeah and just amy's one of the best improvisers ever and then everybody has a different improvising style too right yeah so like uh, Nick would improvise in character. Uh, Chris Pratt would improvise and he, he would do one take and then you say, I'll oh, do that again. And he'd have no idea what he did. He's, he's so loose that it just came out of him. And then he would just give you something different in the next take. Um, but, and you know, and, and you could, 
and you can see Nick just finesse it in the next take, you know, um, he would improvise it, but he'd slightly change it. So every person mm -hmm. had a different approach to it and everybody was in character, like Mike was saying, that, that you got a different flavor, even though they're all improvising. It was great. That's true. It was a great cast. We were spoiled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we've been lucky to, to talk with a few people. Uh, we had an interview with uh, Mo Collins uh, and Christopher Murray, just to name a couple. Um, and and the, each everybody that we interviewed always said what a great experience it was with, with the cast and the writers and just what a nice experience it was uh, on set. Yeah, it was very loose. I think it has to be loose and kind of um, chill on set for comedy. Or, you know, and the, and, and the... Um, it's okay to um, try things out. And if they don't work, they don't work. This is the way we shot it was the documentary, that fake documentary style allowed us to do that. You feel the pressure on other shows if you're, uh, you know, don't have a lot of time, don't have a lot of takes, then you feel the pressure, you know, to deliver. But I, I felt like it was always loose. I never seemed panicky. And just like if Amy said, like in the, you know, said, I don't know about this joke, then we would, take a moment to look at the joke and, and say, well, what do we want to do here? That's different. You know, it was always loose on set. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And Mo was great. And Amy was, Amy was always good because she had, you know, the, the upright citizens of brigade, she, you know, that was, she knew a lot of people. So uh, we'd say who would be great for this part. And Amy would say, how about this person, you know? Um, so we bring in people too, who are willing to play, that they were kind of almost like friends of the show, you know, in a way. Mm. Well, we, we, you had so many great guest stars and uh, we've been lucky to talk to a few, like Mark said, and everyone's been terrific so far. So we admire the show so much and I can understand why the people who worked in it really felt like they were, you know, had that, that freedom to really just, you know, be a part of the cast. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about another uh, Mike Schur show. So, well, technically a Dan Gore show, I guess, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? Is it true that Norm and Scully are named after you? Well, Mike Scully, who wrote uh, on Parks and Rec, and I, he also wrote on The Simpsons. And so, um, and okay. then uh, my name, Norm Hiscock. Were, were the, so they didn't want to use my last name, which is like literally a dirty <laughs> so they changed it to Hitchcock so it wouldn't be they would have problems with it so yeah when what they did was they stole Mike so I think is it Mike Hitchcock and Norm Scully so they just flipped them that's great and it, yeah it's just a nod to um, uh, Scully and I uh, two writers that uh, you know wrote on Parks and Rec that's cool that's awesome yeah, it was fun that uh, Dan did that. I didn't know he was going to do that. It was fun. Well, I, I know you've written for both live action and animation, you know, kind of starting with your career and here more recently with Trailer Park Boys, the animated series. What's the, what's different about that process, you know, I guess as a writer and a producer? Well, I, I've been lucky in that I've been on character-driven shows, so Brooklyn Nine-Nine, even King of the Hill. Um, they're all character-based and... Um, um, so it's the same in a way. And you know, if you look at uh, King, I mean, I wrote, wrote Trailer Park Boys too as well, but um, that was a little crazier, but they still have characters that they, you know, they stick to. Um, but the approach has always been fairly real. Like if you look at King of the Hill, there are some really sort of pushed animated versions of the show uh, and episodes that are more animated than not. 
Mm. But it feels like a sitcom. And Greg made sure that all the characters, even though they were animated, and so did Mike Judge, they're, they're based on real characters or people that Mike Judge observed and then um, Greg fleshed out with the writers, you know. So um, the approach has always been the same. And, and it's just the process, right, um, which is different. So a live action, you're down on set and you're working with the actors and you, you do it over five days if you're shooting an episode. But if you do an animated show, you're basically in an hour and a half, you've recorded the show. Wow. And, um, you know, the there's no makeup, there's no lighting. <laughs> you know, they come in and they, you can do as many, because you're just recording a voice, you can do as many takes as you want or not. And uh, it's working with the animators. That's the tricky uh, thing. And I like working with the animators. It's fun. But it's a different vibe because they're more... Um, they're drawing, right? And you're sort of having to describe what needs to be drawn or or what you need for the story. So that you're, mm. and you're, that's sort of out of your control a little bit. Also, it's out of the actor's control too, because they're just using a voice and then someone's now drew, drawing their movement. They're not in control of their body or how they're going to fall down or if they slip on something, someone's drawing that now. So um, it's just the process that's different. But I, I mean, I like both things. What I like about it is they, it's you can you can just go to different locations, you know. So at Parks and Rec, we go. It's going to take place in a park. You just write in a park, and the same with King of the Hill. You know, it's going to be in the alleyway, and the next scene is going to be taking place in the park. So it, it all is the same basically, and you're just writing for characters. That was going to be one of my questions is I, I love Trailer Park Boys so much and I even like the animated series even better, I think. And I noticed that there is, if I remember right, there was one episode where they went up in a space station, I think. And right. So, be, yeah. and, I, and I thought to myself, you know, this probably would have been a lot more expensive to do if they had done this with live actors. So my question for you was, do you feel maybe uh, less constrained plot wise when you're just dealing with, with animation? Oh, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, and for that that episode, that season almost killed the animator <laughs> on Trailer Park Boys because there was like a I think there was a flood in one episode. There was a, they went to space. Uh, one of the characters broke his arm, and they had to, so it's like there was a lot of things that it's, when you write it in there, it seems like nothing, but then you have to draw new backgrounds. Right, the thing about King of the Hill was like it took place on the street. You have the same backgrounds, use a lot of the same backgrounds, that's cost effective. So um, if you're shooting, if you're writing, they go to space, they go, oh, so we're not, <laughs> I guess the first third will take place in the park and then the rest of the episode takes place in space. And now you're having to draw new backgrounds and uh, yeah. And so that's a bit trickier. Um, and in the on that show too, they, in the first season, we were doing a lot of like, that panning, like it was a fake documentary. And we're so we're having to zoom in and pan. And it was all basically one take, but we were cropping off and zooming like this. So that was tricky too. Um, on King of the Hill, we had a lot of flat stuff of just shooting in one shot or cut, we would cut in and, and do, and those are easier to do because you have separate teams that can do it. But on Trailer Park Boys, you have one team that's just doing one take, and that takes a very long time. Wow. So it's just, 
you have to think about those things. I think the second season of Trailer Park Boys, we started doing that, cutting around more and not doing those one takes because it was, we weren't making deadlines. <laughs> we, were, we were a little too ambitious, I think. But but I, I, I thought they turned out, first season turned out really good. So the second season of Trailer Park Boys. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was excellent. I, I'm a huge fan for sure. Yeah, a lot of fun. I know another show Mark turned me on to was Corner Gas. And uh, he's been trying to get me to watch that for yes. 10 years, I think. And I finally started it. Yeah, that's a, like um, Brent Butt was a stand-up comic. He used to open um, and warm up the crowd. He's a stand, uh, um, in Toronto. When we did Kids in the Hall, he would warm up the crowd and show up. And uh, so I always knew Brent. And then he had the show. It's probably the most popular sitcom in Canada. Wow. Um, it ran for six years. And then it just... They animated it and it ran for another four years. So uh, it's like a really good family show. And um, and the characters are all likable. Great cast again, too. And it's just very, it's more, um, I mean, it does have characters, but it's more um, premise driven and uh, joke heavy, you know. Yeah. It's a different type of show. But very low key, too, though. It's a, like a hangout show where they're just hanging out at, yeah. you know, in a gas station and hanging out in a diner. And Yeah, that, Corner Gas is one of my favorite shows of all time, for sure. And I, I, oh, people, great. people would ask me about it and say, how would you describe it? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. Imagine a Canadian Seinfeld, but they're, they're kind oh. of nice to each other. Like, it's not yeah. mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's actually it's good that you – because I've used it as sort of like – Seinfeld light or something. I, that's what I kind of said where it's just, they go, they do runs on Seinfeld where you go off on tangents and then get back to the story yeah. and corner gas is like that too. That's great. Well, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you about, cause you live in Canada, correct? Well, yeah, I was, I lived in the States for a while cause I moved to New York to do Saturday Night Live and then I moved to LA to do King of the Hill, then moved back to Canada. Okay. And then when I got Parks and Rec, I moved, the family stayed in Canada. So we bought a home here and, um, but I had an apartment in LA after we sold our house. So you find it's better to be in LA. That's what I was curious about. Yeah. You know? I like, the, <laughs> I like, the, you had to be there if you're on set and you're shooting for Parks and Rec, you had to be there. Right. So yeah. you're in the room. Now you don't have to with Zoom and COVID. Like we, you know, the, the last show I did, we all wrote on Zoom. So everyone, one person was, uh, writer we hired was in Spain. So, <laughs> wow. How how does that change the dynamic of the writers' room? I guess in that case, you could really diversify your your inputs. You know, that would be a new opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I like being in a room. Um, I like writing things down on a card and putting it up on a board to figure out all the acts and everything, and then people can see the board. Yeah. Um, and then if you want to change something, you just pull down a card and put up a new card. But on Zoom, it's hard to do. And I think people sitting and staring at a screen for four hours or five hours is really difficult. It just yeah. zaps the energy. And uh, I think, uh, so the dynamic is different. Uh, I think there's good and bad things to Zoom and there's good and bad things to a room. Ultimately, I like a room because you're in the room together and it can be more spontaneous, I feel like. And you can read people better in a room when you're with them. I can see that. On Zoom, you were always going, what do you think about that? And they go, oh, no, I liked it. But people are just quiet or, you know, their dog was doing something off on the side or something. <laughs> so you never got a sense, like, 
Are they being distracted? Do they like it? Or did they even hear me? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're looking down here, but are you looking at the camera? I can't yeah, tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tougher. Norm, I was curious. Do you uh, do you ever include personal experiences in your writing, uh, or are there like are there of all the characters you've created, are there some that kind of capture a little bit of the essence of you? Um, not through character. So like the the character I kind of related to the most of all the characters I wrote for, and it was just because it was like it was Bobby Hill, um, because he was a sensitive boy, and he uh, like I understood that relationship between him and Hank. It was sort of like my relationship with my dad a little bit where my dad didn't understand like this sensitive kid. He wanted me to be a man, you know, and man up and do manly things. And I wasn't that kind of a guy. So I, I, I sort of understood that about Bobby. And so I related to him quite a bit. The, the, um, the one where he, um, uh, falls in love with this girl or has a crush on this girl is his first kiss that was sort of based on a story i had and i pitched it in the room um bobby love was the episode and um but sometimes yes yeah, sometimes it's based on uh, like the when i was driving for king of the hill real life stories kind of made their way into sh the show more often than not you know like when i was driving to work one day i saw this giant American flag flying at this um, gas station. It was like incredibly huge, like over the top big. So I thought that'd be funny if Bill got one from the army base and flew it in his backyard and then Khan was upset. And then, so there was always like, and I remember seeing a couch in a uh, alleyway and I thought, well, what if the guys took that couch and fixed it up and then sat on it? And yeah. so they, they, like little things like that, observational things, you know? Um, so they were more for premises and, and, and ideas for stories, less so like, oh, um, you know, this character on the show is a lot like me, and I'm, or, um, you know, uh, but Bobby was the one that was closest for me just as a kid, you know. That's great. Awesome. I did want to ask you about Bobby specifically. You know, there is a, a lot of internet uh, rumors you know, with Hank's narrow urethra, which I think I've said to my wife about 400 times over the last 20 years. I don't know why. Anytime we're talking about something being narrow, I would say like Hank's urethra, <laughs> that Bobby is not Hank's actual son. So uh, I think I think he is good. Me too. <laughs> I think one of uh, Hank's um, guys got through. Just got through. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not so unmanly, Hank, that he couldn't have a child. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I think the last thing I wanted to ask you about before we talk about maybe what's next is, you know, uh, around the same time Mark and I were talking about shows we both needed to watch, I think I was trying to get Mark to watch People of Earth, and then it went yeah. away. And I, it was one of those where I'm like, oh, like, you know, here we go, Briscoe County Jr. again, another show right. I loved, and it gets yanked. What's that like, I guess, in the creative process when it, you know, do you well, feel like it ended prematurely? I did. I mean, yeah. I mean, we did, for, uh, like, I did the first two seasons, I ran it, and I, I was only contract, contracted to do two, for, two showrun for two seasons. And then um, I got burnt out, actually, because we had no time off. And, but mm -hmm. we got picked up for a third season. So, like, I felt, okay, I left the show in a good place. I'll consult. I was going to be consulting producer in the third season 
And um, there was a transition at um, TBS. Mm. And so um, I think it, that happens quite a bit. It happened to me with pilots and stuff where I, I've sold a pilot to one person. They've left. A new team have, have come in and they go, what's this pilot? Because they had nothing to do with it, right? So yep. they see it through and then they end up not picking it up. Um, and it's sort of that was the feeling I felt like what happened with people of Earth. I think they did like the show, but I think it was just the new regime to kind of say, what, what is this show? You know, and then, and it was, you know, to be fair, it wasn't inexpensive. It was an expensive show. We tried mm -hmm. to do it on the cheap, but I had a lot, it was a sci-fi show, you know, so yeah. it had aliens in it. There were 13 characters, three of them were aliens and we were shooting in Toronto and so it was like, um, so I just think it was like they did it for two years. They were happy with the show, but, um, and it's always a bummer, you know, when a show isn't picked up. Like when Parks and Rec, the first season, we never, we only did six episodes and we thought, oh, are we going to be picked up? And then the next season, we were lucky to roll into the third. But in the third season, we were shooting on Parks and Rec with no, no air date. We didn't know when we were, so we were doing 14 episodes and we were, we don't know when we're airing. And we thought, are we being canceled? So you always have this feeling of being canceled all the time. It's rare do they, they come around and say, okay, you're picked up, you know, uh, and let you know and you can relax. You're always on your, you know, back heels waiting. For <laughs> on your guard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love that show. It's a fun show. Uh, I really like People of Earth. It was a lot of fun. It was very quirky. And I just, I remember my wife and I just really enjoyed yeah. it. And we, you know, we were just disappointed when three didn't come in. So it was not, uh, it's not fun to find that out when you find yeah. out. It's the way you find out too, where they kind of, and they started writing it. They, cause we were, we were half, I think they had, did they have all the episodes written or most of them written? Oh, wow. So, and then they just pulled the plug. That reminds me a little bit of the Seinfeld pilot. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to look at aliens the same way again. You know, I, I don't recall ever, you know, seeing two aliens interact and be like, hey, Steve, you know, yes. and not just like human looking aliens, but really weird looking like, you know, hey, Steve, come over here. Like, this yeah. is nuts. I like this. Well, David Jenkins, who created this show, um, his thing, which I thought always I liked from the beginning was it should just be like it's an office up there, too. You know, and I like that as well. The dynamics of these three guys, you know, in a spaceship, um, you know, not, and there are three different types of aliens. Yeah. So why would they get along all the time? Right. But you can tell they kind of in a weird way liked each other too, you know? I like that one One of them was the one that always got picked on, too. Like, yes. the other two would just razz on. And it's like, I love this. And it's, you're right. It was just like an office. I didn't even realize yeah. that. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of show running, I, I read that you're going to be co-show running season two of Space Force. Is that right? Yes. So, we just wrapped. We were shot it in Vancouver. And we just wrapped at the end of June. So, that's why you, you've you got me now. I'm, I'm <laughs> that's great. I'm on set. Yeah. Uh, and that was tricky, too, because, you know, trying to do comedy while, you know, during the pandemic. And so everyone's wearing masks and you're being tested every second day. So um, it went really well. And Netflix was very good at making sure everyone was comfortable and safe. And um, so was uh, Bright Lights, which was the uh, company that did it in Canada. So uh, but that's always a concern. You don't want to be on set, you know, and yeah. it being shut down. 
What can we expect about season two? Oh, uh, that I, except I mean I think we focus on the characters. That's what I'll just say that the 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 seven main characters we've focused on them more. Um, that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And they're good. And they're funny. And Steve Carell is uh, great. And so is John Malkovich. And the whole cast is great. Uh, I had a lot of fun. They were so wonderful to work with. Um, and it was a really, again, another, despite the pandemic and everyone wearing masks on set, it was fairly loose. And um, Ken Quapis was a director and mm-hmm. he did uh, The Office. Yeah. And he also, and he was, um, he did every episode, which was oh, very wow. helpful. And, yeah. and he did Larry Sanders too. So I bugged him about Larry Sanders and asked him a lot of questions. <laughs> Yeah, you've got a great cast there. Steve Carell, John Malkovich, uh, yeah. Ben Schwartz. Yeah, ben speaking Schwartz, of Parks, yeah. Parks and Rec. Yeah, I worked with Ben there. And, uh, and Ben was so much fun to work on Parks and Rec. And so he's so loose on set, you know, uh, and he's easy to work with. He's such a great guy. I think the last thing I, I we had talked about, Mark and I were talking, we saw on the IMDb credits, season five of Kids in the Hall next year. Is that a thing? Yeah, they just wrapped that too. They wrapped last week. I just got a text from Kevin, um, and they yeah they finished wrapping. Um, I we I wrote on it. <clears throat> I was going to work on it, but it didn't work out because as we're doing Trailer Park Boys, I was running that show. Um, but I got to work on it last year for a month and write sketches. Um, but then they shut it down, and and picked it up again in May of this year. And they just wrap. So yeah, it's eight episodes. It's going to be on Amazon. Wow. Uh, I, the sketches were really funny. So I, I mean, and the guys are, I you know, they're they're my friends. So it makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah. they're they're great. So I it, I I think it's going to be really fun. Just picking back up where they left off twenty five years ago. And the Shadowy Men are back, and they shot an opening with the Shadowy Men, which is going to be great. I love those guys. Wow. They're great. I think I, I I just texted Alan here recently. I said best intro theme song of any show ever. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah. And every year on the early version of the show, we changed, we did a new uh, opening every year, which was fun. You don't do that anymore on shows. Um, you, you just have title cards, but it was, and even then you would settle on one opening and just do it like Parks and Rec, you know, but uh, it was fun to change it up every year. And, uh, but use that song. It was, it was so great. <laughs> well, Norm, what else uh, are you working on? Where can people find you? Um, Do you want to be found? I'm just relaxing now. <laughs> <laughs> Doing podcasts with people like you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that, yeah, I just like, uh, I'm, um, I'm, we're editing, you know, um, Space Force. So like uh, Ken is now doing it. The director is doing a pass and then we'll go in and then uh, Greg and I will do a pass. And then... Um, then we're mixing the show and then uh, I'm not sure when it's going to air, maybe in the new year, I think sometime early mm-hmm. in the new year, next year, I think. That's terrific. Looking forward to it. I don't know. And I, I wish I could tell you about Kids in the Hall too, but I think they're, I think they're already editing the sketches. So uh, I think they want to get it done too. Wow. A lot of good stuff to look forward to. I can't wait. Yeah. It's great yeah. to have things back in production for sure. So let's hope everyone stays safe. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It, yeah. 
Well, Norm, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's been terrific having you here. Um, uh, just fascinating to talk to you and learn about your experiences and all these terrific shows of which, you know, I know Mark and I are both fans and I, I suspect so are our viewers. Um, we call them viewers, by the way. We know they're not technically viewers, <laughs> but we like to call them that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you guys have to start, uh, you know, airing your podcast now so you can call them viewers. I there think you you're on to something. Yep. <laughs> Well, Norm, thanks again so much. Uh, really, really appreciate your time. I know it's very valuable and uh, I'm happy that it worked out that we caught you at the perfect time. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, well, good luck with the podcast and thanks for thinking of me. It's, it's fun to talk about the show. All right. Nice, nice meeting you guys. Take care. Nice to meet All right, you. Take care. Bye. All right. All right. Bye. back everybody well mark that was terrific um i really enjoyed getting to listen to that interview with norm again i'm sure you did as well oh yeah yeah such a nice guy and and very very interesting and and what a what a gracious guest yeah i i mean we i know we've said it before and we'll say it again probably and i hope we say it every time we've been very blessed to have really great guests on the show um, people like norm who are are you know, obviously very funny, very creative, but also kind and kind enough to do the show in the first place. Absolutely. But then come on and, you know, they're just kind of like normal people that you want to talk to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've really enjoyed that aspect of these interviews. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in some ways there's no greater praise you can give them than they just say, you know what? I would, I would just uh, shoot the bull with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll head up to Canada way and hang out with Norm. <laughs> Me too. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed that as well. And we look forward to seeing you next time. All right. Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.